verse number 22. We uh, looked at verse 21 and verse 22 together, and, uh, you know, th those are two verses, and that's such an important thought that we very well could start off tonight uh, going back over that. That, that seems to be a lesson that, you know, most people have a really difficult time uh, learning. And that is that we are to uh, overcome evil with good. I think a lot of times, you know, it's we allow resentment to build up as a result of the wrongdoing of others. And especially, you know, if it was something that uh, directly affected us or one of our loved ones. It, it makes it doubly difficult, uh, you know, to, to, to do something nice. And remember, in overcoming evil with good, we're not to be passive in this, but we're to be active. In other words, we're not just to turn the other cheek. We're not just to be patient and tolerate their injustice, but rather we're to turn around and to do something good toward them. That is, we're to demonstrate our love for them regardless of what they do. And that gives us our best chance of being able uh, to see them change. And now, it doesn't mean they will. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes it makes a difference what you do. They're not going to change. They are what they are, and you're, you, you can't change them. God doesn't even force change upon people. But it does give us the best chance. But more importantly, it's not just whether or not our effort is effective in producing change in their life. It's not, you know, whether or not they finally admit that they were wrong and come to us and say, oh, I'm so sorry I did that. More important than all of that is the fact that God says if we do that, that we will be rewarded of the Lord. Our reward comes from Him. We don't have to, we don't have to look to them and, uh, uh, you know, try to in, in, in some way feel like we've been repaid for the wrong they've done because God's going to reward us whether it meets with success or not. You, you know, if they never change, uh, that doesn't lessen your reward one bit. I don't know. Maybe there's some ways in which it'll even increase your reward to know that you stayed by the stuff, you did what was right, even whenever it looked like it was all in vain. Well, as I said, we could spend a lot of time talking about that and especially looking over at Paul's statement in, in Romans, but we're going to cut it off right there and move on to verse 23. Verse number 23. The north wind driveth away rain. Now, I'm certainly uh, no expert on the weather in any part of the world, and I'm not sure there is such thing as an expert on the weather in Texas, you know, because it kind of does whatever it wants to do. But at least in that part of the world at that time that this was a true statement, the north wind drives away rain. So doth an angry countenance, a backbiting tongue. Now, this verse is talking about the power of facial expression. You know, this is a difficult subject for some of us because, I don't know, some of us, it just looks like our face is set in concrete or something and we're just, we are what we are. That's just the way. I, I can't tell you the number of times that that people have thought I was mad when I wasn't mad at all. And, uh, of course, Bev can, better than anybody on this earth, she can tell the difference, you know, she 
she knows. And when somebody really knows you, they can tell from your facial expression, uh, you know, what's going on in your mind. And so that's what he's talking about here. And so it ought to be obvious then that that our countenance can affect other people. And, And in this case, notice he's telling us that it can actually stop backbiting. Let me tell you, that's something that needs to be stopped. Backbiting. People, you know, because you, you, you look back at churches, and the, I was writing an article today, and I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I may type it up and print it up. I, I don't know yet, but it had to do with churches and the fact that about, uh, I think it was 3,700 churches a year go out of business. Uh, now, not all of those are what we would call Bible-believing churches, and we probably ought to be glad some of them's out of business. But, but by the way, a lot of them are. A lot of them are good Baptist churches that, that go out of business, and there are a number of reasons for that that I won't go into. But one of the things, a lot of times, is this matter of gossip and backbiting that creates dissension in the church, and then you have a big division. And you know people are people, and at some point... They think, well, I've got to take sides with somebody. You know, well, I I, I can't stand against so-and-so. So after a while, you've got a divided church. And let me tell you, when it gets that way, you're just a hair's breadth away from the church being ruined. And and so major damage can result out of this uh, for a church. But it's not just what it does to the church. It's also what it can do to the individual. You know, just our words can literally destroy people. And uh, as, as I was as I was looking at this, and uh, nor- normally whenever I'm studying, I, there's certain you know commentators that I'll look at and see their ideas. And, and you've heard me talk a lot of times about you know how much effort, how much work is involved in really studying the Bible. I mean, it's a whole lot more as these teachers, Rick and. John and Terry and different ones can tell you whenever you're studying to teach or preach God's Word, it, it takes a lot of study. And, and I want to give you an example of why. And one reason is because the revised version, which we don't use naturally, but there are a lot of these modern versions you'd be surprised. In fact, most of the Southern Baptist churches, they, they've just about all of them have, have gone to some modern version of the Bible. But to show you how confusing this can get if if you're not really grounded, the revised version says exactly the opposite of what the King James Version says. Now, both of them can't be right. That's pretty obvious, right? But they say it's exactly the opposite of this. The King James Version says here concerning an angry countenance that it can drive away the backsliding. Now, I've got complete confidence in the King James and exactly what it says. I think there are things we can look at the meaning of a Hebrew word or a Greek word for the sake of clarification, but never, ever for correction. So you might hear me say sometime, you know, the Greek word means this or that, which is fine. But it's never fine whenever you refer to the Hebrew or to the Greek for the sake of trying to correct what the King James Version says. 
if the King James Version doesn't have it right, then you don't have any idea where you can find it right anywhere. It's just no other place to turn if it's not right because uh, it would certainly contradict uh, everything that we've believed down through the centuries. But getting back to the text, and uh, that is having to do with the importance of gossip and slander. We all know that we ought to avoid that, right? We ought to avoid doing that, right? Sure. We know we shouldn't backbite, we shouldn't gossip, we shouldn't slander. But the point is, not only should we not do it, we should not enjoy or even tolerate hearing it. We don't have to listen to that. And that's what this is all about. Us, through our facial express expression, letting it known that we don't want to hear it. In other words, that, that it is disgusting to us. Now, that'll discourage a lot of people from doing it uh, whenever they see that you don't want to hear it. Usually, they're, they're looking for somebody that's got a listening ear. And that's why a lot of times you hear preachers talk about garbage can ears because there are a lot of people, they just love to, to hear gossip. I, I mean, they just can't get enough of it. And uh, if somebody's whispering over there somewhere, you know, they get close enough to hear. They got to know what's going on. Well, it's a whole lot better off if we don't hear all of that stuff. And so uh, you, you don't have to give a big speech. You don't have to be ugly about it. You don't have to be insulting. You know, you don't have to say, well, you numbskull, you shouldn't be gossiping about this in the first place. But, you know, the least that we can do is to wrinkle our brow or something and you know, just let them know, hey, I really don't want to hear that, you know. Let's talk about something else. And usually, usually why they will uh, go on to another subject or find somebody else that will listen. Verse 24, it is better to dwell in the corner of the house stop. Oh, no, here we go again. Uh, that's probably what you're thinking. Better to dwell in the corner of the house stop than with a brawling woman and in a wide house. That, <laughs> boy, that... That either took guts or stupidity one, and I'll <laughs> I'll let you figure out which, Brock. But uh, uh, <laughs> with her sitting right beside you there, especially the fact of the ma matter is, uh, contention makes you miserable. It doesn't make any difference what you've got, how much you've got. Uh, oh, I tell you, if there's contention in the home, you're miserable. Uh, and, and there, you know, you, you can put up with a lot of stuff out in the world when you're on the job, for example. I mean, you just you go to work, you're kind of expecting that. You don't really think everything's going to go all right. Anyway, something's going to go wrong. There'll be somebody difficult to deal with, somebody that won't appreciate what you do. So you kind of expect that, and you can weather those storms if when you get home, you're uh, home at last, you know. Home, sweet home. And where everybody loves each other and you get along. And boy, I'll tell you, there's nothing like that. But boy, whenever you go home and there's another battle to face and all of a sudden here you are faced with all of this contention, it, it's just almost more than a person can bear. And that's the idea. 
course, you know, back in those days, they had those flat rooftops, and, and it was literally a common thing for people to get up on the rooftop and walk around there. And, uh, of course, that got some of them in trouble doing that. But, uh, but nobody planned on living up there, by the way. You know, but it says it'd be better to live up there. Now, if you're on the rooftop, you don't have you don't have a top. <laughs> Whether it's raining or whatever it is, you're exposed to the elements up there. And it, but it's better off being up there than being in the house by a nice warm fire or whatever. It, it says here with a brawling woman. Now, that's what the Bible says. But these women will tell you the same thing would be true if it was a brawling man. So it, <laughs> uh, they, they, they got more nerve than you guys do. Contention. And boy, you know, we, we, we already read about this, didn't we? I wonder, wonder why the Lord said this again. Probably because he knows that we need to think about it over and over. He repeats it for the emphasis of importance. Don't ever forget that. Whenever the Lord repeats something, it's for the emphasis of importance. It's not because he run out of things to say. It's not because he can't think of something to say. Like, oh my, you know, I, I've pretty well covered that subject. I've got to go on to something else. No, he, he's wanting us to know the contention in the home is a serious subject. That's at the root of so many problems today because when the family unit breaks down, all of society is adversely affected. It affects everything. The kids go off to school, they're affected by it. So whatever happens, it all goes back to the, to the roots of society in the home. Verse 25 is cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Now that, this is similar to what we saw in chapter 24. Uh, but it's not exactly the same, but similar. But I read this, and my first thought came to mind, you know, about uh, the thought of homesick. Corey mentioned his friend a while ago being in the Army, and there he is in boot camp. You know, and for, for most of those guys, it's the first time they've ever been away from home, and that's a real common problem for them to deal with is being homesick. Now, you know, whenever they left... And they thought, boy, this is going to be fun. Finally out from under mom and dad's thumb, I can go and I'm going to be able to do what I want to do. And they get there and there's some sergeant screaming in their ear and they realize that they can't do what they want to do. They start missing home. But, but I think most of us at some time or another, different circumstances, but most of us have found ourselves homesick. Whenever I think back all of those years, I was running all over the country preaching revival meetings and Bible conferences and run back home, you know. And it seemed like there for a while we got in a pattern that nearly every time I was away, there was a storm, a tornado or something. And, uh, you know, I'd uh, see it on the news or whatever and know about it and call home. And, and especially whenever you couldn't get through, call home, all of the lines are down. You can't get through to anybody and and uh, I can't tell you how many times that I've, you know, drove all night to get back home and, and just couldn't wait to get in my own bed and eat some home cooking and all of that. And, uh, and so th- that's the point here is cold waters to a thirsty soul. 
you think about somebody that is thirsty, their lips are parched, and man, they've just got to have a drink of water. And to get that good news from home, boy, there's nothing like it. Because now you know everything's all right. I heard from home, everybody's safe, everything is all right. But it's not just that. It's the it's not only just finding out that they're okay. It's that interaction with one another. And, and if this verse doesn't do anything else, I hope it will remind all of us that interaction with our loved ones is really important. And there are a lot of different things we can do to let them know that, that we're concerned about them. You know, here he's talking about good news from a far country. And back in those days, you know, it was a messenger. They send a messenger to get, they didn't have overnight express or anything like that. Didn't have cell phones and didn't even have telegraph, you know. And so finally, after maybe many months even, you'd get the news that everybody is okay. But we've got it so easy today. We can just text somebody a message we can send a card, uh, an email, or whatever it is. And, and, and a lot of times it doesn't take a lot. In fact, a lot of times a lot's, you know, not all that good. They, you know, they don't want to hear everything you've done in the past six months. they just like to hear you say, how you doing today? Been thinking about you, wanted you to know I love you or something. And it's important that we interact with one another. Verse 26 A righteous man falling down before the wicked is as a troubled fountain and corrupt spring. Now let's look at the last part of of this verse first. The word troubled here means turbid or something that's stirred up. Uh, In other words, whenever that happens, mud and other matter that will be in the water makes it unfit to drink. Uh, I, I remember, you know, as a boy and uh, being out hunting and and we always knew where the where the springs were at, you know. And you go to the spring and you just fall down in your belly and drink that good, clear spring water. Uh, but you certainly wouldn't go somewhere where the, you know, that uh, upstream where the cows had been wading in the creek or whatever and drink water that's, you know, been... Uh, contaminated and, and so here he's talking about uh, wicked man as, as, as a trouble fountain or notice a corrupt uh, spring that's something that is contaminated or polluted now keep in mind in those days the importance of water supply you, you know they waged wars over wells in those days Man, you got my well. And nations went to war against nations, uh, you know, uh, over water. Water was the lifeline. You had to have water in in order to live. It wasn't like where we can, you know, buy a bottle of water. I never thought I'd live to see the day where you paid for water. I, I really didn't. It was so shocking to me to see somebody come out with a bottle of water. And I thought, why would anybody buy a bottle of water? Now, I buy a bottle of water, you know, but it shows you how times have changed. But water is extremely important. Now, keep that in mind. And let's look at the first part. A righteous man falling down before the wicked. A righteous man falling down before the wicked. Now, 
that could be taken in three different ways, actually. And, and different writers, different preachers have interpreted that in three different ways. One says it means for the righteous to be run over and trampled on by the wicked. Another one says it has to do with the righteous being cowardly, that is, refusing to stand their ground and consequently giving full reign to the evil around them. The third view that I, 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 that I believe is the right one has to do with the righteous falling into sin in the sight of the wicked. The reason I believe that is the right one is because there are more examples of that found in the Bible than those other two put together. Over and over and over again, we see people, I'm talking, when I say people, I'm talking about God's servants. I'm talking about people that have been faithful to God, people that were in high positions, and we see them falling down under the wicked, as it were. And so looking at that, you should, should notice that when that happens, it, it's like, uh, it's, it's like the, the troubled fountain or the corrupt spring. And we've got to keep in mind who we represent and keep in mind that people are watching us and like the old saying, you're the only Bible that some people will ever read. And that's surely true. Because there are some folks that they'll, they're, ne- they're never going to come to a service like this. They'll never, like Corey's friend before, they're never going to sit down and open up their Bible and read and find out what God says. But they'll look at you and they'll draw conclusions about Christ based on what they see in His people. And God forbid that we give them the wrong impression, that we muddy the water, that we corrupt the sweet fountain of the gospel of Jesus Christ by our ill behavior. Now, verse 27, it is not good to eat much honey for so, uh, uh, so for men to search their own glory is not good. Well, we've already talked about this matter of needing moderation uh, when it comes to eating honey. And uh, here he mentions it again. But I want you to notice this time, He ties it together with a specific subject. And the subject has to do with seeking glory for oneself. It's not good to eat much honey. I mean, it's good, and it's even good for you. But it's got to be done in moderation. And, And so for men to search their own glory is not glory. And the whole point is that, and by the way, everybody... Everybody appreciates it when they are commended for something. If somebody says, you know, boy, I really enjoyed the song that you sang today or I really enjoyed the Sunday school lesson and you let the Sunday school teacher, you know, uh, know that you got a lot out of it, well, that, that's encouraging. Uh, but whenever, whenever we start courting the applause of others, uh, in other words, we're trying to make ourselves popular or famous or whatever, uh, rather than glorifying God, that's when it has gone awry. As I said, a little honey is fine. And there's not anything wrong with making mention, you know, of what we've done. And not even anything wrong necessarily in making mention of what we're able to do. 
you can talk about stuff like that. Paul did. He, he talked about his past life and the things he had done. He talked about the things that he was doing, and that was all okay. But you have to do it in the right way at the right time and for the right reason. You it would be like somebody getting up and talking about a song that they sang, and the result was that yeah, I sang that song, and everybody stood up and applauded, and uh, it was so good they wanted me to sing again the next week or uh, something like that. It's real easy to tell automatically where this is going. You know, is I want you to brag on me, and and that's offensive to to everyone whenever we do that. And regardless of what we do, it doesn't make any difference what the activity is. As the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, we're to do all for the glory of God. And here's the point. And a lot of times we miss it, I think. We don't realize what a great temptation some people are under. Sunday I was talking about the fact that sometimes the only thing keeping some people from a particular sin is a lack of opportunity. Right? I mean, they, they, they haven't had the opportunity or they would have done the same thing, you see. And it's real easy for them to have a self-righteous attitude, you know, and condemn the person that's doing it. Now, certainly whenever, and I could name a bunch, uh, Jimmy Swaggart and Bob Harrington and a whole bunch of, of others that have fallen over the years, uh, and, and naturally they're all of the entertainers and things, but... That, that's a whole nother story. But just just those of a religious nature that have fallen. And what they did was horrible and terrible, wrong as it can be. But what a lot of folks don't understand is the greatness of the temptation they had. You've got to realize the amount of money that some of those guys make. You've got to realize the fame some of those guys have and so forth and it whenever a person gets like that and you've got a it's like uh, i don't know the whole story i don't know what all happened to tiger woods but you know after a while and you've got so much fame and so much money you get that feeling you're invincible and, and and you'll try things that ordinarily you might never do now i'm saying all that for a reason i'm trying to lay a foundation for our thoughts here that we've got to use moderation in the things that we do lest we leave the impression that we are seeking glory instead of glorifying God. And I mention that because I'm telling you, those people who have great talent face great temptation in this regards because with their great talent, there comes great accolades, you know, uh, applause. Uh, people are going to be commending them for what they did. And after a while, it's like, you know, the, we often say they got the big head. And it can happen because they've got a lot of talent. And so after a while, they start really liking this. That's happened to some young preachers that have been absolutely ruined, not ruined by the applause that they gain because, you know, they got started out good and, boy, I mean, and very impressive. I got names running through my mind right now. And uh, very impressive. And they got a lot of attention from a lot of people. 
and after a while you can just see it all they get the big head and after a while they boy uh, they're ruined all because of the fact that they're at least in appearance their main desire is to draw attention to self rather than glorifying God so this is a special danger to those that have great talent. But let me tell you, they're not the only ones that can fall prey to this. It can happen to anyone. The potential is there for anyone. Because like I said, everybody enjoys being congratulated or commended and what have you. We all, we all like it whenever somebody expresses appreciation. And so we've got to be on guard all of the time that we don't get the big head, so to speak, and uh, begin to think more of ourselves than what we should. Now, i got time for one more, and I think that wraps it up. Uh, yeah, verse 28, and next week we'll start in chapter 26. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Boy, that ties together so well with everything that we've already talked about. Now, back in chapter 16, we learn that it's better to control our passions than it is to conquer a city. Do you notice the difference here? Here, we are likened unto a city. So, there, you know, it's talking about basically the same issues, but it's using the city as an illustration here of the person. And notice in this case, it's a city. The wall is broken down. Uh, notice broken down without any walls. You picture in your mind some ancient city and all of the walls have crumbled. Oh, there might be some, some, uh, some parts of some buildings still standing and actually it just reminds them of their former glory and it makes them even more miserable to look around and see that but the walls they've been destroyed any invader could just come in and take over the city in fact the wild beasts of the field can come in and roam the streets and you can't stop them now that that's a horrible picture because they're the people living in the city they're without shelter they're without protection they're exposed to danger constantly and the point of this is he that had no rule over his own spirit is exactly like that city with the walls broken down and the people exposed to danger. You see, the Lord holds each and every one of us responsible for maintaining control of ourselves. He that hath no rule over his spirit. And that's where the real battle is raging. It's on... It's in our inner man, our inner person. And, and we look around so many times at what happens outwardly and, we, and you, you might hear people say, well, I, I didn't see that coming. I never dreamed. I, I don't know. That happened so fast. No, it didn't happen fast. It's been happening. There's been that deterioration of, of morals and convictions or whatever it is going on within the person. And the failure just comes to fruition in a, in a moment of crisis, maybe. And so you, like I've often said about backsliding, it's really like a slow leak. It's not a blowout. It just happens gradually. But it makes no difference how it happens. It's the result of the lack 
of being in control. And Paul, when he was talking about the fruit of the Spirit, the last thing he mentioned was what? Huh? What? Temperance, which is what? Self-control. So God holds me responsible for maintaining control in my life, but the only way I can be in control is what? To give him control because that's the fruit of the Spirit. So I have a responsibility, but I can't fulfill my responsibility without, first of all, surrendering myself to the Lord and allowing him to enable me to do what, what he requires me to do. Well, it can sure keep us out of a lot of trouble uh, when we're able to maintain control of ourselves that way. Any final word before we pack up and head home? Yes. Seven seeks his own glory, and a person in twenty-eight are both people who Satan can bait. Yep. You know, you know, for whatever reason, the one don't have any self-control, and the other one is seeking something that's dangerous for his spirit, and either one of them just sets up a trap that Satan can spring on. Yep. Absolutely right. Yep. And like I was saying Sunday, and the lust is already within us. So, you know, he sets the trap by saying, hey, here's a good opportunity for this, you know. And so uh, it's like, I don't know, somebody's talking about, you know, mice love cheese, but they hate traps. And uh, a lot of, a lot of the. Yeah. Absolutely. That's good. That's right. That's good. That's yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It sure is. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. A lot of those things that we we read something like that and we we just don't attach to the significance to it that we should and it's very important. Okay. All minds clear.